feel like sometimes life is really mental. Dude, that's actually a really good name for a podcast. <laughs> Even when you lose all hope, you go deeper than you've gone. Hold on till you can't no more. Whatever that moment is for you, do not derail from that path. You know what you have to do, so then work backwards. How do you get there? And eliminate all the negative things that could derail you from that path. Hey everyone, welcome to Really Mental. We are a podcast where we want you to know no matter who you are, you are not alone with what you're going through. If you enjoyed this episode with Nick Mayhew, please make sure to follow, like, subscribe, and follow us on our socials at Really Mental Podcast. Today we're talking with Nick Mayhew, as I said before. He is a Paralympic world record and American record holder. He has three gold medals, has played on the Team USA Paralympic soccer team, and he's competed in the 100 meter, 200 meter, and 4x1 universal relay. Overall, he's just a very inspiring human. He has cerebral palsy, a disability, and has shown so much strength in the midst of adversity. So we're so excited to have him on. You know, resilience is a topic which will be perfect to learn more about from Nick and, and what he's been through. Harry, I wanted to ask you, when have you been through a time when you face resilience and how did you get through it? I think it's really interesting because the point that I think of and the moment that I think of is a time where everything kind of caught up to me and I wasn't resilient. And that was like a time when I was really training hard and swimming and I was pushing myself from a young age. Like I remember at eight, nine years old, I'd wake up at 4.30am and go swimming, training and do six kilometers twice a day, morning and night. So I'd be doing 12 kilometers a day at like as a nine-year-old. And I remember back then I had this immense drive to just push and push and push, push and train and train and train. And you just be pushing yourself at like 10, 11, 12, 13. And then I think it got to the age of about like 14, 15, where I really just like didn't want to do it anymore. And I wasn't motivated to push myself like that in that way. And I think that was due to a lot of external factors that I wasn't resilient in and I was trying to find myself. And I really admire Nick for the, how he was able to overcome so many adversities so quickly. Because like at that age, I wasn't. It took me a bit of time and I had to really find myself again. I was in a place in my life where I was really sad and I was just trying to figure out what I wanted to do and the emotions I was feeling took away from the training and it just became unenjoyable anymore and I just really hated it. And I think that was a point in my life where I should have been resilient, but I wasn't, but I came out of it in a way that was meant for me at the end of the day. Yeah, it's amazing, man. I think resilience is one of those things where as young people, we don't necessarily talk about this or if we do, we hear it from someone who's maybe older in age. Nick is older, but only by four years. So he's definitely very young and a similar age to us. And having a conversation around a topic like this is important because in life, we all face challenges. We all do. They look different for all of us. And you may not experience what Nick has been through in terms of just the specifics, but I can guarantee you that you will resonate with the challenges and the times when you're not so sure how it's going to work out. We're very excited to have this chat and I hope that it can help you whether you are in uni trying to get through and push through to, to study for your finals or if you are doing a corporate job. Whatever it is, we hope that this can help you. And if it does, please make sure to rate us a five star because we really think that Nick's story is worthy of that. Hey everyone. We have a really mental show on the Amazon AMP app. We're going to be hosting live conversations with some of your favorite guests, including some of the ones on here. Make sure you go follow us on the Amazon AMP app at Really Mental. And we want you to know 
that no matter who you are, you're not alone. Hopefully we'll see you on Amazon app at 7 p.m. PT, 10 p.m. ET every Sunday. All right, see you then, beautiful human. Could you describe yourself for people who do not know who you are? I'm Nick Mayhew. I run track and field for Team USA. I'm a three-time gold medalist, three-time world record holder, one-time silver medalist, and American record holder in Paralympic track and field. I grew up playing soccer my entire life and then um, was recruited to run track and field, born with cerebral palsy that went undiagnosed until I was 14. You know, just spent my entire life, you know, proving doctors and people wrong, improving myself right, doing what I do best and playing the sports that I love. How did your time growing up in Virginia influence you? I mean, it definitely shaped me to be the man I am now. Growing up and having my brother, who's five and a half years older than me, play football, me looking up to him and wanting to be just like him. You know, I'll never let him know that. But, you know, I just wanted to be just like him. He was my biggest role model growing up, playing football at such a high level. And then, you know, playing at the highest level in every team that I could in Virginia, going on and playing Division One soccer. All of that was done in Virginia. If I wasn't born there, if I wasn't raised there and went through the struggles and had the coaches and teammates to, you know, push me to be the athlete and the man that I, you know, eventually grew to be, I wouldn't be where I am today. Being told that you wouldn't be able to play sport anymore at 14, like, how did that feel? Because obviously, as you said, sport was such a big thing in your life. Like, what was your reaction and how did you deal with that? So leading up to that, I was sort of on a cloud nine, you know, I had just started talking to, you know, Division One universities all around the country, you know, and, and at that point, through the American route of football, you, you sort of get recruited, get offered a scholarship, play four years at a university, and then go pro, and then you get drafted. It's very, very different than what it's like in Europe or overseas. And that was sort of the beginning of what I thought, you know, was my journey. Waking up that one morning, having a grand ball seizure, and being rushed to the hospital, and looking at my MRI and looking at my doctor and, you know, her looking back at me and saying, you know, you'll never be able to play soccer again, broke my heart. And it was my own personal rock bottom. But it also was a sigh of relief in a sense, because I'd grown up my entire life knowing that there was something different about my left side. It was just a little less, a little different than my right side, everything physically. I was given an explanation and a reason for why I was feeling the way I was. So in a sense, it was a sigh of relief. All the dots started to connect. And on the medical side, I was given an explanation. But in everything else of my life, you know, I was, I was flipped upside down and everything else was stripped away from me. It was definitely the start of probably the hardest time of my life. And, you know, it was definitely a decision I had to make those next few months of whether I was going to let it you know, define me and take the easy route of, you know, hey, I'm going to take the sympathy card and, you know, I want other people to feel bad and I'm going to, you know, back away from, from challenges because I have a disability or, you know, I could, I could hit the head running and suck it up, figure it out and get it done. It'd be really hard to continue that work ethic, finding out about cerebral palsy and like having that massive roadblock. What was the thing that like got you over that and made you go, no, I'm not going to let that define me. I'm still going to do everything that I want to do. I I don't know. There wasn't really anything that, you know, I read or somebody that gave me a piece of advice that really stuck with me that made me think that. It was just, I didn't want to settle and allow my disability and allow the negative things that I've gone through to define me. And that was pretty much it. I, I made a decision very early on in my life that I knew that I was going to, at some point in my life, be a professional athlete. I knew that this was what I want to do with my life. I knew I didn't want to get a nine to five job, work in a cubicle or you know do, do something that I would have hated. 
you know, and I, I knew that I wasn't going to allow myself to fail. I knew that I was going to fail a lot on the way, but I knew that I was going to eventually be able to get to a point in my life that I was in, you know, I, I did it, you know, I, I did it my way and, you know, nothing's going to stop me to get there. And I always knew that I was going to prove every single person who ever doubted me wrong. Was there a period of mourning where you were like, oh, you know, my dreams, maybe I won't be able to achieve that. And so I almost have to mourn that. Or were you just like straight back on it? Because it would be easy for us to sit here now and be like, oh, you know, Nick just got straight back on the horse and, and kept going. What was that like for you? It was the darkest, the darkest time in my life. You know, after I had my grandma seizure, after I was told I would never play soccer again, I was sidelined for almost five months, I think. My doctors wouldn't allow me to run. They wouldn't allow me to touch a soccer ball. They wouldn't allow me to do anything physical related because they didn't understand the severity of the dead spot on the right side of my brain that they saw in my MRI. So they didn't understand exactly what it was. And if it were to be a tumor or, you know, something that if I was, I got hit in the head, you know, that could have caused some sort some serious, you know, issues. They just didn't know. So they wanted to do further research and they wanted to hold off and allow me to recover and see how I grew with it. And until they had a legit diagnosis and a legit understanding of what it was and how it you know, could be affected upon impact or anything like that, those months would be by far the darkest times of my life. I'm 26 years old and you know, I've achieved all these things. You know, I have all these accolades to my name, these medals and things, but those things are just things. They're just medals. They're just accolades. They're just things for the fans and things for the sport. Even when I was younger, I understood that I hadn't done anything yet. And if that was where my career was going to end, that I wouldn't have been able to live with myself like that. And it was very frustrating. And so I didn't really know who I was at that time. And, you know, I sit before you today, still not knowing exactly who I am and what makes me happy outside of sport. And so you can imagine me being 14 years old and being told that I would never be able to play sport again, just freaking out. And it was very, very defining, scary time in my life. I know education, as you've said, is such a big thing. And I would love for you to explain a little bit further on what cerebral palsy is. A lot of people don't understand is that how wide a range cerebral palsy actually is. For me personally, I have less function, whether it be nerves or fine motor functions, range of motion, sensation. Everything on my left side is just a little less physically than on my right. So for instance, you know, when I type on a keyboard, it's like my right finger or my right hands and my right fingers are all work the same. My left one, the, like my three, usually just work together. And it's just little things like that, little things that I sort of go through. And I'm, I mean, anyone listening to this, you can very easily, you know, Google and, and search up different things, but it's also defined as a stroke in utero. And, and oftentimes if a baby has a stroke in utero, they have a lack of oxygen, there's oftentimes damage to their brain, which is which oftentimes leads to the diagnosis of cerebral palsy after birth. I had a stroke in utero, but mine was such a mild form of cerebral palsy that it went undiagnosed and unnoticed until I was 14 when I had my grandma's seizure and they, you know, saw my MRI for the first time. So my situation unfortunately is very unique and I am a part of a very small percentage of people that have cerebral palsy that don't look like they have cerebral palsy. Because oftentimes you'll think of, you know, a crooked hand or the locked wrist or like a locked limb and it's very just like held in one position or somebody that, you know, drags a foot because their ankle is locked in a certain way and they don't really have that range of motion to be able to walk in a proper gait. 
but that's something I struggled with when I was younger. I used to limp and drag my left foot so long. And I actually would lock myself in my room and walk back and forth and teach myself how to walk without a limp so I could just look normal. And so now like y'all wake up in the morning, y'all get out of bed, go to the bathroom and go start your day. I think about getting out of bed and each step that I have to take to go to the bathroom to then get to the kitchen. So it's, it's a lot of things that I have to go through that a lot of people don't. And cerebral palsy is just a very wide range disability that a lot of people don't know about. Now, I'm still learning about because there are so many different people of different severities of cerebral palsy. Good explanation. Do you ever doubt yourself now and your abilities? I wouldn't say because of cerebral palsy, but I've completely accepted my disability. And something I always say is that I will never let it define me because I am so much more than just, you know, an athlete with a disability. I'm surrounded by, you know, athletes that you know, have been in horrible accidents, who've lost limbs and, you know, have overcome so many tragedies and to wake up every day, be surrounded by these Olympians, be surrounded by these Paralympians who have gone through their own struggles. It'd be sort of hypocritical for me to kind of wake up and doubt myself because I was born with this when they had to live their life 14, 15, 16, 20 years of their life, a completely normal, able-bodied person, let alone athlete. And then to be able to alter their life, to then be able to relearn how to walk, relearn how to run and be, you know, the 1% of the 1% of what we do. I think that I definitely doubt myself in terms of so many more days that I wanted to give up, that I didn't want to get out of bed at six in the morning. And my brother was beating down my door yelling at me to wake up, dragging me out of my bed. You know, there were so many days that I was down on myself and thought, you know, what am I getting myself into? I've never done this before. Why are you doing this? If you fail, everyone's going to laugh at you. And just like all these negative things. I had so many more negative days than I did positive and still do. There's definitely more negative days than positives. And, you know, you're going to fail a lot on your journey to being successful. But that's what life's all about. Just rolling with the punches. hundred percent. I love that, man. It's already such a positive, uplifting chat because like you were saying, we all have times when we face obstacles and it feels like it's too much to overcome or we doubt ourselves as people. I definitely do. Just hearing what you're saying around, you still go through those ups and downs. It's so important to talk about because I think in society, we associate certain achievements and reaching a certain place in life with like reaching this almost enlightened, like you're always happy state. But for you, obviously, that isn't the case because it keeps going. The journey keeps extending in terms of your goals. Yeah, of course. And it's funny because I, I just recently told this story for the first time. The craziest realization for me was I get very hyper-focused and fixated on what I'm doing in sports. So, you know, like growing up playing football my entire life, I wanted to be the best and I wanted to go to college and play Division One soccer. Check, check, check. Right. And then, you know, I, I joined the national team, played for the national team, won U.S. Soccer Player of the Year. Check. And then after that, soccer was in all the games and we were going to be out of an international tournament for an entire year to two years. And especially because of COVID, you know, everything got completely shut down. So, you know, there was almost a potential for there, there to be two years of my life that I was going to literally be doing nothing if I had just stuck with football. And then Team USA reached out and asked me if I wanted to run track. And then I was like, okay, cool. It gives me an opportunity to just rewrite my brain and hyper focus on, on something else and give me a purpose to do something. And that's all I did. You know, I moved to a new city. I was training 10 hours a day, six days a week. I dedicated 
two years of my life, I forfeited any means of a social life to, to do what I wanted to do. I did everything I could possible to get to Tokyo. And I'm very proud of what I did. But the craziest realization was when I got back from Tokyo, I was sitting in my hotel room with my mom, surrounded by the people that, that got me to where I was, my loved ones, my family. And my mom looked at me and she was like, yo, you, you all right? Like, what's wrong? Like, you should be happy. Like, you, you, you did it, right? And then I looked at her and I was like, now what do I do? You know, like, and it's, it was a very depressing fall of getting back from Tokyo and realizing what you've done. Cool. Now what? That's, you know, something that not a lot of Olympians speak about. I, I love that you mentioned what next. We have a lot of people on the show from different walks of life that have experienced success in their fields. There is that sort of thing that comes up each time around. You think it's almost going to solve the problems, but once you get there and maybe you have that hit song, it's like, it is what next. And so for you now, after that experience, where do you derive that chase and passion and drive? Is it, what's the purpose that's driving you now? I'm fortunate enough to be in a career that allows me to do it again the next year. And, you know, maybe not to the same magnitude, having the Olympics be every four years, but we still have world championships. We still have Pan American Games and, and other international tournaments that I'm, that I can race in and, you know, train for and have a purpose. It's more so what I try to do to fill my time in between those, you know, starting my own foundation or, you know, the book that I started writing or, I've recently gotten really into modeling and signed with a modeling agency and I've been having so much fun doing stuff like that. So it's just finding other hobbies and other careers that you can do outside of what your main thing is so you don't put all your eggs in one basket. I often say to, you know, whether I'm speaking to kids or people that are sort of looking up for me and asking their advice and that aren't in a good place or, you know, just sort of want something to believe in. I always say, as long as you're doing something, no matter where you are in your life, no matter what path you're on, no matter what you're facing, no matter what your roadblock may be, as long as you're doing something to better yourself every single day, no matter what it is that you're facing, it will be better. You mentioned before, uh, just in passing, sacrifice. And I think that's a really powerful word and something we need to speak more about given you know, resilience and, and chasing your goals, having ambition. I feel like it's always tied to some type of sacrifice to be able to reach that place, wherever that is you want to go in life. So for you with sacrifice, can you break that down for us? Because as you were saying before, sometimes people think, you know, just because you're doing what you love, oh, it must be fun all the time. But what does sacrifice look like for you? For me personally, sacrifice has always been sort of the same thing. Um, you know, I've always sacrificed the things that I knew were not going to help me stand on that podium with a gold medal around my neck listening to my national anthem. To understand that you're going to come across a couple more of life-defining moments. And one of my life-defining moments was my grandma's seizure and doing what I had to do. And that sacrifice was sacrificing Nick Mayhew, the U.S. Soccer Player of the Year, sacrificing any means of a social life and sacrificing the relationships that I had that were toxic, friends, girlfriend, family that did not align with what I wanted to do to get to where I wanted to be. I was not going to make a decision that night, that weekend, or that week and allow that to affect what I wanted to do. That's why I always say, and I've always said, is just focus on what will benefit you in the long run and allow everything along the way to fall into place. Because no matter the decisions right now, you know, you could be tempted 
and buy a lot of things and a lot of people, but they don't have your best interests in mind. They only want what's best for them from you in that moment. Then whatever that moment is for you, do not derail from that path. You know what you have to do. That's your end goal. That's the goal. So then work backwards. How do you get there? And eliminate all the negative things that could derail you from that path. And it's a slow, tedious, fucking tough process. But if it was easy, everybody would do it. In terms of disabilities, I read in an interview, you know, you're talking about having, quote unquote, an invisible disability. I'm wondering what we can do to be more supportive of people in the disabled community as someone who is able-bodied. That, you know, I want to learn more about that. What do you feel we have to work on to sort of do better and, and make you guys feel supported? See, this is such a tough question to ask because I my answer is so simple, but it often could sort of get twisted and because of how I try to... So oftentimes I've said it in the past and people have been like, mm. but I don't give a fuck. I see it in the same sense as other controversial topics that people are afraid to talk about, that they don't feel comfortable talking about. People are never going to change unless they're open to having a conversation and being open to learning about something they are uneducated about. They don't know. They didn't have to live through those experiences. They just don't know. And it's not a sense of negativity. It's not a sense of, hey, like, you know, this isn't true or I'm right or you're wrong. It's just you have to be open-minded and understand that we're going to have a conversation about something. And if you're open to having the conversation, then be open to learn and hear what I have to say. People are afraid to talk about it and afraid to understand it because they just don't know. They're uneducated. They think cerebral palsy. They think wheelchair or you're not disabled unless you're an amputee or you shouldn't be able to compete in the Paralympics because you have, you know, four limbs. I love having a conversation. And it's, it's never from a point of proving somebody wrong. It's never putting anybody down. It's solely just genuine education. That's the thing. I'm still fucking learning about disabilities. I'm still learning about different classes amongst the Paralympics. I didn't find out that the Paralympics even fucking existed until I was 21 years old off of a social media post on Instagram. I was born with a fucking disability. I've been disabled my entire life. I was unaware until I was 21 years old that there was an entire world that I would be accepted into, that I would be celebrated in. An entire world of people just like me. The biggest thing is just talking about it, just supporting it. That's why I sort of use my platform, especially TikTok, to educate, answer questions, and sort of just create content around education of my experience and things that I've gone through and disability and sport as a whole. I'm still learning about it. And I'm, there's never going to be a time where I'm not learning. I walk into a room, I'm never the smartest person in the room. And I, I love it because there's always something to learn. There's always something I could talk, have a conversation with somebody, ask them about where they're from, who they are, what they do for a living and learn something and be better, smarter, more educated from that situation than I was 10 minutes prior. And if that's not the mentality that you have, then I'm sorry, but I don't want to be around you. Yeah. To jump in your shoes, as a disabled person, do you ever feel like people look down on you? I'm sure you must come across some people who are just like that. How do you deal with that? Yes. And no. I mean, I do come across it sometimes, but it's more so in a, it's in a different sense because I don't look disabled. And I don't often get, you know, looked down upon sort of that somebody with, uh, that's an amputee or in a wheelchair, the little things that they would sort of, you know, you know, have to go through. 
um, you know, the looks or the staring or things like that. Like I, when I walk around, I don't look any different than, you know, somebody else. So it's very different for me. But, you know, when that does happen, it's sort of in the own community of disability, you know, other athletes that hit me up or DM me or comment on things. And they're like, he shouldn't be doing this. You know, it just kind of rubs me the wrong way and be like, yo, like you're a part of this. You should be understanding and you apart from anybody else should understand what I've been through because you've been through the same thing, if not worse. So it's sort of frustrating. And it just kind of irks me to understand that there are people in this world that aren't willing to understand or learn things. But I mean, and it gets to a point of like, okay, it's not worth my time being frustrated about it, because that's just who they are as people, they're not going to change. I try to have a genuine conversation about it and and let it go from there. And if they want to learn and they want to have the conversation, that's cool. Not agree to disagree. I wish you well, you know, but it is what it is. Man, appreciate your time in this chat. I want to finish with one last question. What does a great 12 months look like for you? 12 months? That's crazy. Um, I'm not a big fan of, of, of winter. So track season starts in January, often the first race is there. So, you know, get out strong and, you know, get out well. I'm not a big fan of the cold. I grew up in the cold. Uh, I'm not a big fan of the snow. So hopefully I'll be, you know, somewhere warm and, you know, just training. I love training. I love what I do. I love publicly speaking. I love educating people. And as much time as I can spend working, whether it be modeling, training, racing, or doing anything else that I do, I genuinely love what I do. So as often as I can in the early months, get into that and then, you know, enjoy my summer. I love going on vacation, exploring, you know, really putting myself in other cultures and, you know, being a foreigner in another country, really just immersing myself in their culture is something that I'm very passionate about, something I love to do. So I love to travel as often as possible. And I do that a lot in the summer. I love the beach. I'm a big beach guy. I love surfing. I love just laying out on the beach, just being, you know, around the sand, around the ocean is where I feel at peace. If it's an Olympic year, we're still training and we go to the Olympics, we win four gold medals, we break four world records. That'd be a good thing. You know, last year I only did three, but, you know, in Paris, I'm looking to do four. So that'll be good. And then after that, just spending as much time as I can with my family, you know, uh, getting that time back that I lost in training and working enjoying my time with my family, loving them, taking care of them, anything else I can do for them. I love Christmas. I love spending time with my family, you know, just really just living a normal life. I'm just a normal kid living a normal life. You know, I live, I live a very simple life. I'm not really entertained by a lot of the crazy shit that goes on in life. I love video games. Can't wait for Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 to come out here in a little bit. Because <laughs> this, this shit they got on it now is the worst. You know, that's probably the whole year that rounded up in Christmas. Christmas is my favorite time of the year. I get to spend a lot of time with my family. My dad and my, uh, my family do a great job of keeping the Christmas spirit up. And so we do a lot of activities, a lot of traditions. You know, I just love, I love trying to just be happy and being around my family. That's pretty much it. So Amazing, man. Again, thank you for your time. And I'm excited to watch you get five gold medals in, in hey, Paris. Man. I don't know. I don't know. Five. I'm going to try for four. That's because I'll probably do four events. I got I got a surprise for y'all in the, the next Winter Olympics of 26, but I'll keep that on the back burner. I got to keep a little anticipation coming. Okay, cool. That's it's getting me thinking. I, I like watching the Winter Olympics as well. Yeah, it'll be fun. Again, man, thanks for your time. Excited to watch you succeed and thrive in the future. And yeah, we're going to be watching and supporting you. Awesome. Appreciate y'all. Thank you. Thank you. 
So, Will, I really loved that chat with Nick and how many things he had to go through and how he had to push himself. What was your biggest takeaway? I think the thing for me that really just stood out and I brought up in that chat was taking every day, remembering what you have to do to get to where you want to go. It starts with the little things that amount to those bigger moments and big achievements, such as winning a gold medal. It was just a reminder for me, making sure that I am making the right sacrifices, also the right choices to get to where I want to go in life and make sure that it's always in line with where I want to be heading myself and and being really ruthless with that and disciplined. It takes a lot to be great at something or achieve success. We all have it inside of us. It's literally just the choices we're making to get to where we want to go. That could be as simple as if you're looking to get really fast, then maybe you have to choose, as Nick said, eating the right foods day in, day out. It's the smaller things like that, that that add up so much. And it honestly really inspired me just hearing that he goes through the same doubts as us, but he still has to make the same sacrifices to get to where he wants to go because we're not different to each other. And that's what I really love about Really Mental as a project where we, you know, from what we're learning, I, I just thought from that chat too, it really stood clear to me, you know, what it takes to be great at something. And we all have that in us. So I felt very inspired from that. And, and that's definitely what came to mind for me. I just want to thank everyone for sticking around with us this long. I really hope you took something out of this that can help you. And we're very excited to welcome another special and inspiring guest next week. If you enjoyed this, please share, subscribe and follow us on our socials at Really Mental Podcast. And also consider sharing it with a friend because at the end of the day, we want this to help as many people as possible. So hope you can take something away from it. And I will see you next week on Really Mental. Thank you for joining us. Even when you lose all hope, you go deeper than you've gone. Hold on till you can't no more. If you guys are struggling, Will and I aren't like professionals in this field. We're just telling our experiences through stories and kind of just sharing what we've been through. But if you are really struggling, we do highly suggest going to see a therapist and professional help because they will be the ones that can really help you in your situation. Yeah, of course. Feel free to share your stories with us and DM us. We want to know what you're going through, but make sure you take the time to speak to a professional because that's going to give you the most help. That said, we hope that these stories and the people we've spoken to can really help you on your journey to finding that right person, whether it's a therapist or that friend to talk to about it. Make sure you take the time to do that.